Superman, right? His name was Jesus. And, um, but I do want to challenge the fathers here this morning and the men to be men of steel. Um, and, and really, we just wanted to show that, that clip because it's cool. So I, I was really stretching to connect it to the sermon. I just wanted to show it. Um, so that's out in theaters. Well, anyway, um, happy Father's Day, guys. Happy Father's Day. Glad you're here. I, um, I'm a dad. I have three kids that I love. Um, there they are right there. Uh, kind, of, kind of an old picture, but that's Daniel and Esther and Sam. And, um, and I love my kids. And uh, yeah, we have three kids, and yes, I know what causes that, um, <clears throat> but you know women, I just cannot, I just cannot keep my wife off of me. Um, so, so we have three kids right now, and um, it's all they want to, it's all they want to think about. Um, but seriously, being a dad is, is one of the greatest privileges um, that we can have. And, and so I'm going to talk about, <clears throat> about that this morning, being a father. Where this whole thing comes from, um, you know, we, God didn't decide to call himself father kind of like after he created humans and was like, you know, I, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to run with this whole thing. I think this whole dad thing, this, this, this works for me. I'll call myself father. That's, that's not at all how it works or how it, how it played out. Um, God, over and above all the other things that he is called in the Bible, he primarily chooses to be identified as father. And he has been Father God from eternity past. This is very much his identity. And so this morning, I want us to just see that. And, and I want us to think about that and, and see what that, what that really means for us. And so, yeah, this, this message this morning is especially for you Dads, and it's especially for you men, I'm going to be addressing you especially, but that doesn't mean that um, this message will not be uh, beneficial to the ladies as well. <clears throat> it definitely will. Um, so God, from eternity past, has been Father. And from eternity past, He has had a son. You cannot have a son without being a father. And there are three persons to God. Uh, there is God the Father, and God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. But he is one God. And I'm not going to preach on all of that this morning. But I just want to be clear that Jesus is God. But I'm going to be focusing on God the Father this morning and talking about what that means. Um, you know, when we say that God is our Father, that can tend to 
project, we can tend to project our ideas, our perceptions of Father onto God. And when we do that, that's a really bad thing. That's a really, that's a really bad thing for us to do. Many of us have not had great fathers. Many of us may have had indifferent fathers or overbearing fathers or even abusive fathers. And so for some of you this morning, the thought of God being father kind of churns your stomach. Um, but I want, I, I want to change that, that this morning. If that's you, I want, I want that to change. Um, if, if you had a dad who used his position over you not to care for you or to nurture you or to protect you, um, I want to help you not to associate those negative feelings that you have maybe towards your father, toward God. So, um, so let me pray because uh, this is going to take the Lord. This is going to take the Holy Spirit to do this. I can't, I can't do this. Um, so let, pray with me. Father, uh, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for getting us up, for giving us breath in our lungs and a heartbeat in our chest so that we can, so that we could be here this morning, so that we could gather, the church could gather and um, worship you, and learn about you. And I pray this morning that you would send your spirit here, that you would fill this room, that you would make our hearts ready for your word, that you would help us, Father, to know how much you love us. You'd help us to comprehend that, to give us the ability to comprehend just how much you really love us. And God, that that would change us permanently. Lord, I pray for the fathers here this morning. I pray that we would be challenged. I pray that we wouldn't leave here um, as we came, but that we would go from here uh, with, with a, a new energy from your spirit, a strength from your spirit to live the life that you have called us to, to be the dads that you've called us to be to be a reflection of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, God is not called Father because He copies earthly fathers. That's a big deal that we get that. He, he's not just a, a pumped up version of your dad. He's not. He's something better altogether. He doesn't copy earthly fathers. So, the fact, I mean, it's actually the reverse. Um, we human fathers are supposed to 
reflect Him. And, and the problem is we just usually don't. Oftentimes we don't. And so we, so we don't do a good job of what we're supposed to do, which is reflect Him. So let's switch our thinking around this morning. If we just start right there, that will help a lot. God the Father is not a copy of us. Okay? So let's start there. No matter who your father was or wasn't, whether or not he was present in your life, you have a daddy who loves you. I mean, who loves you perfectly. No matter who your earthly father was or wasn't, you have a perfect father in heaven. And so that's really good news for us. We're not orphans. We're not forgotten. We're loved. We're known. Psalm 68, 5 says that God is a father to the fatherless. So if you're sitting here this morning and you really just didn't have much of a dad to speak of at all, he is your father. He is the father to the fatherless. It's a wonderful verse. It's a wonderful truth. In Jeremiah 31.9, God says, I am a father to Israel. In Deuteronomy 1.31, says, The Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son. John 20.17, Jesus says, I am ascending to my father and your father. To my God and your God. 1 Corinthians 8.6 says, There is one God, the Father, from whom all thing, are all things and for whom we exist. Isaiah 63.18 says, You, O Lord, are our Father. And, of course, Jesus taught us to address God as Father. In Matthew 6, 9, he says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father. He told us, address him as Father. Speak to him as Father. Relate to him as Father. So, this morning, let's celebrate, let's celebrate Father's Day from that standpoint. We have this awesome, perfect Father in heaven who loves us infinitely, who knows us perfectly and still loves us. So we learn then to be a father by looking at our heavenly Father. That's the baseline. That's where we figure this whole thing out, dads. That's where we that's where we learn how to be a father. We, we, we look at him and we, we go, well, how does, he, how does he relate to me, his child? And then, and then that's how I want to relate to my kids. Some of you have grown kids, but I, but I still think that this is applicable. I still think that there are 
ways, just because you have grown kids and, and maybe they've, they've moved out, maybe they have kids of their own, that, I still think that this is applicable. Um, you know, our ultimate goal is that we, that we teach our kids to worship our God, right? That's the goal. So we need to live our lives in a way that makes much of God, that shows our kids, our grandkids, that God is real, that we really believe that. We don't, he's not just somebody we talk about. He's real. He's, he, he really leads us. He really affects our life. He really is everything to us. And if we do that, especially if our kids are still living with us, if we do that, it will have profound effects on our kids. When I completely lose my temper and fly off the handle with my kids, I'm convicted because I know that God, my Father, responds to me totally differently when I disobey Him. Psalm 86.15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God, of, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so I look at Him. I go, okay, well this is how you are. You're slow to anger. You're slow to anger. And so I need to be slow to anger. When I ignore my kids, they're pleading for my attention. And I do that sometimes because I'm tired and selfish. And I want to do my thing. My kids are just getting in the way of me doing my thing. I'm convicted because that's not how God, my Father, responds to me when I want His attention. Psalm 116, 1 through 2. It says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. Our Father inclines his ear to us. When we talk to him, he bends down to listen. And so, I want to be that kind of dad to my kids. I want them to know they have daddy's ear. Because I represent the father to them. When I let my kids just get away with blatant disobedience without disciplining them because I'm too lazy. It's usually the reason I let them get away with stuff. Because I'm just too lazy to do something about it. Just being honest. I get convicted because God, my Father, never misses an opportunity to teach me through my disobedience. He loves me so much, He will not miss an opportunity to teach me through my disobedience. In Hebrews 12, 5-7, 
It says, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? That's the Bible, by the way. Right out of the Bible. Man, this book is really practical. It is really practical. And so, you know, sometimes I, I let my kids just completely blatantly disobey me and I don't do anything about it because I'm tired and selfish. It seems like this is a recurring theme for me. Tired, selfish, therefore I get lazy, so I let them just run wild. Well, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to reflect God the Father. And if I give away an opportunity, a perfect opportunity to shape them, to mold them, to teach them, then what I'm doing is I'm not reflecting God the Father well. And so this is a, more than just about, you know, being consistent. It's more, it's more than that. This is about when we, when we discipline in love, when we discipline our kids in love, when we correct them, when we show them what's right, we're showing them a picture of the Father. This is very important because they too will project their view of you, Dad, on God the Father. And so it's really important that we do the best we can. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father of the son in whom he delights. In whom he delights. So actually, discipline is, it comes out of delight. It comes out of delight. And we live in a culture now, we live in a culture now that is so afraid of stepping on anyone's toes that we won't even step on our own kids' toes. Right? It's kind of ridiculous. It's kind of, it's not kind of ridiculous, it's really ridiculous. We've, we've come to this place where it's like, well, I, you know, I don't want to like, I don't want to stifle them. You're their parent. You're not stifling them. You're actually showing that you delight in them, that you love them. That you care about their future, you care about who they become, and that you know more than they do. And you know what? That's okay. There, there is such a thing as truth. And so you know more than your kid, and that's good. That's why God gave your child you. Something to think about. <laughs> 
Discipline is a loving act, and so we need to see it that way. And, and, and it, when we see it that way, we remember that, okay, my, my Father loves me. He's disciplining me because He loves me. Discipline is a loving act because, and, and to ignore disobedience or sin is the opposite of loving because sin leads to death, the Bible says, and separation from God. See how that works? Sin leads to death. And so to ignore sin in your child is the opposite of loving. And discipline leads to repentance, which leads to intimacy with God. And that's the greatest thing you can give to your child. So, discipline was God's idea. And this brings me to my next to my next point. As we submit to God as our father, our kids learn how to relate to us as well and and how to walk with God. So we model submission to authority. So that's another word that's like become a, a, a bad word in our culture. Authority. It's not bad. I'm glad we have authority. I'm glad we have laws. And I'm glad we have police officers. Aren't you? Authority is good. It is good. It gets abused. Yeah, sure. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about authority is good. It is not a bad word. You are the authority of your children, and God is your authority. And as we model submission to authority, our kids learn that. Your kids need to see you repenting of sin. They need to see you acknowledging your failures, confessing sin, receiving forgiveness from the Lord, and then being restored to intimacy with Him. As you model that, they will follow. If, they, if your kids see you going, I messed up today. I messed up. I sinned against God. And I, and I, I have told Him that. And He's forgiven me. And I'm repenting. I'm turning from that. Your kids will follow your lead. So we've got to model submission to authority. And then the other thing that that does is it gives us a platform. Because I'll tell you, you'll need a platform. I don't speak from experience because my kids are not high school kids yet. But I was one, so I can at least remember. You need a platform when your kids are in high school. You really do to, pl- to preach from. And if you respond to God and repent, if you let Him correct you, then your kids will respect your correction as well. Um, Proverbs 14, 26, 26 says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children... We'll have a refuge. 
In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. You know what that's saying? That's saying that the safest place for children is with parents who fear the Lord. That's the safest place for children. Proverbs 20 and verse 7 says, The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. So, your, your obedience to God, your submission to God's authority is, is not just about you. That's the point I'm trying to make here. It's not just about you. You aren't the only one affected. Your children and your grandchildren are affected. So, I, I hope, I hope that you don't ever say to your kids, don't do as I do, do as I say. Please don't ever say that. You might as well just not talk. Because you just made things worse. If you say, don't do as I do, do as I say, you know what your child hears, right? They hear, okay, so you really don't believe it. What you're telling me, you don't really believe. So there's no point in me believing it, right? You are asking your child to walk away from the faith. You say things like that, you are asking your child to walk away from the faith. Because you are modeling with your life that you don't really believe what you say. Do not say, do not say, do not do as I do, do as I say. That is the worst thing. That is just screaming, I'm a hypocrite. Nobody wants to listen to a hypocrite. I'm not saying that you're going to be perfect, but... Man. All right. So as your kids watch you live a life of continual repentance, which that's what this, this whole life of following Jesus is. It's this life of continual repentance, constantly turning from sin. They will be open to repentance as well. They need to see you, especially you, dads, because I'm speaking to you this morning, they need to see you dads gladly receiving instruction. Gladly receiving instruction, learning and turning from your sin. So, if you want to be a good father, then you need to start by being a good disciple of Jesus. Right? That's a great place to start. Because your job, dad, is to disciple your kids. You can't disciple unless you are a disciple. So start by being a good disciple of Jesus. To make sure that every single area of your life is given over to God. Every area. There's not anything that you're keeping to yourself. Give it over to Him. Then you'll be able to take on the privilege of discipling your kids. You know, it says in Ephesians 6, 4, bring them up, talking about your kids, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is 
This is talking to fathers in Ephesians 6.4. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I looked up this word bring in the original Greek. It says that it means to, it has two definitions, this word in the Greek. It's, it, it's like to walk something to someone. So bringing your kids up means you're going in the same direction, right? You're walking them up to the Lord. You're being a disciple yourself, teaching them to be a disciple. So bringing them up means you're going in the same direction. It also means, I thought this was interesting, to nourish with food. But this isn't talking about physical nourishment. This is talking about spiritual nourishment. Feed your kids the Word of God. Feed your grandkids the Word of God. Put verses all over your house. Put them on your refrigerator. Write them on the mirror. Read to your kids. Read at breakfast time. This is something that we have just started to do again. <clears throat> is we, we have Bible with breakfast. So the kids come down. They sit at the table. And they're just, I mean, I'm talking about five minutes. It's all that my kids, the age they are, that's only, you know, they only have five minutes before they're, you know. So it's just five. But you know what that does, though, is it teaches them that this is important. And we do it every day. And it matters to mommy and daddy, right? So this is, this is our job. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Disciple them. Alright, so now I kind of just want to switch from fathers to just all men. All men. So regardless of whether or not you're a dad, yet. Um, <clears throat> the facts are this. The percentage of men in the church in America is on the decline. That's what the statistics show. There are far less men in the church than women. But why is that? I think a big part of that is, is the fault of the church. Um, I think this is, my, this is my hunch. I think the church is just trying to be a little too safe a lot of times. And men are wanting, they don't want, I mean, that's why guys, a lot of times, they'll just stay in the woods on Sunday morning. I'd rather shoot something or work on my car. Because the church just oftentimes gotten too safe. I did a little uh, research, and um, I, th I think it's really interesting. Have you guys heard of this game, Modern Warfare? Yeah. <clears throat> I'm not about to dog on Modern Warfare, but Modern Warfare 3, Modern Warfare 3 broke all kinds of records, crazy records for sales. Within 16 days after Modern Warfare 3 came out, they had sold a billion 
dollars worth of this game. A billion in 16 days, which beat the old record in the entertainment industry, which was set by Avatar, the movie. Avatar made a billion in 17 days. That's a really big deal. I didn't even know this game came out. So my point is that maybe it's not because they did all this incredible advertising. They didn't even need to. The game just sold itself. Fan base, yeah. Why, why is this game so popular and games like it? And I, and I, have, I have a theory. I think, this is what I think. I think it's so popular because when you play this game, you get to join a unit. You get to take on a mission. You get to be a part of vanquishing evil. You get to join a fight. We want that. This game, to me, proves men want this. Men are the main buyers of this game. The average age of video game owners is 35. The statistics don't lie. Men want to join a unit, engage in a fight, go up against evil. Okay? Well, guess what? Guess what? We were made for that. We were made to be a part of an army. We were made to take up arms. We were made to slay dragons. We're made for this. And that's why the game sells. And you know, I think that men are leaving the church because they don't know, they don't know that this is our calling, that there's a mission. That God has, God has given us a mission. He has given us a role to play. He is calling us to enlist. This is a real mission with a real enemy. And it really matters for eternity. And so men leave the church because they don't know what they've been called to. I don't want anybody in our church to not know what we've been called to. We have been called to join up with God's forces, to join with the kingdom of God, an advancing kingdom, to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, to put on the helmet of salvation, to wear the breastplate of righteousness, to strap on the belt of of truth to put on our feet the gospel and to go into battle and to fight our enemy. He's fighting us. He's fighting for your kids. He's fighting for your marriage. He's fighting for this community. He's fighting against this church. Whether or not we fight back. But guess what? We're on the winning team. It would be a shame not to fight. 
It's not an option in my book. It's not an option. If you don't fight, you lose. Your family loses. Your kids lose. This community loses. This church loses if we don't fight. We have a real battle. There is a real enemy with real forces against us. We have real weapons, the Bible says. We have weapons that are able to tear down strongholds, the Bible says. The enemy has strongholds set up in your life, in your thinking, in your family, in this community, I promise you, they're in mine. We have got to tear them down in prayer with the truth, the word of God. There is a there is a better option even than video games. There's a real battle to fight. A real dragon to be slain. There's a real mission that God's calling you to. We don't watch movies about guys who play it safe, do we, men? Unless they're comedies. We watch movies like Braveheart and The Patriot. Right? Because we like to see somebody stand up. Somebody with courage. We want to believe that we could have that same kind of courage if we just had something that was worth fighting for like that. We do. We do. Your family is worth fighting for and this community is worth fighting for and this church is worth fighting for and the kingdom of God is worth fighting for. Amen? Amen. So let's fight. Let's fight. Let's take up arms. Let's enlist. There's a cause worth giving your life for and I'm telling you now it's not safe. It's not. The enemy enemy may take you down. It's not safe, but it's worth it. It's worth it. It's going to cost us everything. It's going to cost us everything, but it is worth it. We will gain everything in the end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being such a good dad. We thank you that you are a loving, you are a loving father, that you care for us, that you want to use us. That that you've given us purpose. That you've redeemed us. That you've adopted us through your son Jesus. We thank you for your son Jesus. The only reason we can call you Father. And because we're united to him. 
Because He paid the ultimate sacrifice. Because He defeated our greatest enemy. Because He slayed the giant. Took on the dragon. And came out victorious. Jesus is our... He is the ultimate warrior. He is the greatest leader. He is our Lord, and He is the King of kings. We thank You that He is seated on a throne in heaven with eyes of fire. We thank You that He is calling us to enlist. I pray, God, that You would give us courage in our hearts to stand up against our enemy, to stand up against the sin in our own hearts and lives, to lay everything down to engage in the battle to make your name known so that Jesus would be magnified and lifted up and this town would never be the same this community would never be the same because of you pray it in Jesus name Upon the 